Welcome to Monster Porn, weird fiction and horror podcast. A disclaimer, this podcast is not actually intended to be used as porn, but if it happens to get you off, you're welcome. Today's tale, The Filth Liquor, by Matt Cummins. There you are. Matt? You know, I had a feeling you would be here. You did? You trudged 14 miles up the side of the mountain in a rainstorm with recording equipment because you had a feeling you could interrupt my meditation in a location I told no one I was going to? Well, yeah. I mean... At first, I had a feeling you'd be in the musty section of the library that has all those really old books with the crazy letters in them, but you weren't. Then I had a feeling you'd be in the cemetery conducting your kick-ass arcane rituals like you'd like to do after tea, but you weren't there either. And then I had a feeling you'd be consulting the wisdom of the river beast, and you weren't there. And then I knew that if you weren't in the library, or in the cemetery, or consulting the river beast, You'd totally be up on Thunder Mountain, meditating with the spirits. Well, you weren't wrong. And I do like to do my arcane rituals in the cemetery after tea. You got me. But what in the world's going on, Matt? And, oh. You brought your, uh, thing. Brett, dude. Once again, it's called a teacup pig. My wife adores it. The kids adore it. And it has a name. And that name is Buggles. It? Does it have a gender? I don't know, Brett. I didn't check him for sausage. Get it? But, uh, anyways, check it out. From nowhere, I got struck with this inspiration, and I wrote a story. I had to bring it up to you to get it down for the podcast. Is that pig smiling? It looks like he's smiling. Is he a he? And, uh, can pigs actually smile? That one is. It's creepy. Uncomfortable. Now he's smiling at me like that Weinstein guy smiles at a... kielbasa. Look, I'm glad you got a story for monster porn. Since you insist on being here, let's go ahead and get it in the can. The warm, tingling sensation was giving way to a burning panic. Oh god, it's gonna happen, the boy thought as he watched the teacher pointing at the chalkboard with a yardstick. She was saying something about subject and verb agreements, but he couldn't focus. He had to go, and when he gotta go... Larry, you seem not to be paying attention again. You must have the answer in mind, the young teacher said emphatically, hitting her yardstick against the chalkboard where some words were written. If this happens, I'll never survive to see the fifth grade. Lord, please, Larry was praying. Of all the things that you could do in elementary school, this was the one thing Larry knew he would never outlive if it happened. Haven't you, Larry, Larry Tumbleson, are you paying me any mind? 
The teacher was saying his name, and the other kids were staring. Some were beginning to giggle. His face was no longer just a shade of red, it was purple. Sweat was beating on his forehead. If he didn't make a run for the door, it was going to explode out of him. Mr. Tumbleson, I've had just about enough of you, she lectured on and on. Can't you see I'm in pain, you fat bitch? Larry thought as he nearly lost control. He thought it was going to start happening, but then there was a moment of relief. That is when Larry decided to take his chance and run for it. He popped out of his desk and flew past the teacher, who struck him on the rear with a yardstick as he juked by her. A fart popped out of him on impact, and he had to reach his hand back and apply pressure to keep it in. He laughed a nervous, purple-faced gasp of laughter as he pictured the little Dutch boy with his thumb in the dike. The whole classroom erupted into laughter and then disappeared behind him as he pulled the door closed. Down the hallway, his stomach squeaked and groaned as he passed gas loudly. The open doorways corralled the sound, and in his wake he left a series of classrooms turning and asking each other, Was that you? He knew he'd only survive this if he didn't shit himself. Farting is one thing. He can survive being the boy who farted a couple times. What he couldn't survive was being called shit smear the rest of his days. He threw open the door to the bathroom so violently that a small third grade boy who was washing his hands ran out into the hallway frightened. Larry tore open a stall and clawed at his belt. It was all about timing now. The seat was up, but he didn't care. He would hover. He just needed to get his pants down but his belt got hung up for just a second, and when he tugged on it, the pressure was too much. It started to happen. Larry's pants dropped to his ankles, and he squatted back over the toilet. Then he closed the lid and sat on it, letting the feeling of relief wash over him. For a moment, he didn't have a care in the world. If this were a movie, I would be smoking a cigarette, he thought and smiled. It was then that he began to hear the sound coming from the corner stall at the end by the wall. No, someone hurt me, Larry thought and all of the fear and anxiety about what had happened rushed back over him. Not only had they heard him passing gas, but also someone had heard him going that loud, that freely. The whole school would know if they didn't know already. Now, Larry felt as though he might vomit. The sound stopped. Was it nothing? Did I just imagine it? He thought, and felt a small wave of relief again. Hello? He said. If someone responded, at least he would know and not have to live with the suspense. But there was no response. Not one of words, anyhow. Something moved closer. It was two stalls away. Then it moved closer. It was one stall away from him, and he could hear it breathing. Then there was a sound like the sound of a fish falling off the line on his father's boat, slapping, heavy, moist. The sound stopped again and moved closer. She said it would come, he thought. Mrs. Ito told me. It would come for me. Beneath the stall to his left, he could see movement. Slapping. Heavy. Moist. It was like a thick piece of raw steak falling onto the floor, just to be picked up and dropped again. Larry rushed to pull his jeans up, and that is when he felt it slither across his legs and against the back of his pants. A smell like that of freshly cut lemon filled the air, and he screamed. A man with cropped hair and a thin mustache sat up in the middle of the night. His face was red and his sheets were soaked. It's just a dream, he told himself. It was just a dream. Now go back to sleep. But no sleep would come. 
Larry dragged himself out of bed and decided that if he couldn't sleep, he would work out. He was never going to be accused of being an athlete, or even muscular. But when he turned 35, he realized that keeping in shape was going to have to become part of his life. Larry didn't get up and put on sleek-looking workout clothes and rush off to the gym. No, Larry's working out consisted of push-ups, sit-ups, and struggling through an old VHS called 20 Minutes to Sexy that he'd borrowed without asking from his mother's discarded tape pile on the back of her garage. The workouts had kept him slender, healthy, and motivated to eat well, which benefited the schedule that he kept himself on. His day was completely regimented, nearly down to the minute. It started with a tall glass of water and then a workout, and after working out, he would grab a quick six-ounce cup of coffee and would drink it while eating a meal that consisted of cooked oatmeal and raw almonds. It was a fibrous meal that allowed him to use the restroom and be done showering by 6.15. Then, he would dress and walk to school where he arrived at 10 to 7. From there, his day was a matter of going through carefully laid out lesson plans with his 5th grade class. Any personal business he needed to deal with could be taken care of at the 15-minute morning recess, the half-hour lunch break, or the afternoon recess. If he ever had to run home during lunch, he could simply walk half a block and he was at his house. Larry's life was unusually hygienic. If he spent any extra time in his classroom, which he did, it was to clean. Cleanliness and organization wasn't close to godliness. It was God. No exceptions. He could still hear the voice of his mother's maid, Mrs. Ito, as she berated him. Pick up after yourself, you funny little boy. Your mother does not know what you are, but I do. If you aren't clean, it will come for you, she threatened. That was how she always referred to Larry. She said that he was funny. And though he never understood what she meant, he did know that she didn't find him to be humorous. Larry had been terrified of her, and he saw her every day for years. When he got to the school, he had time to write what he needed to on the board and then take a quick five-minute break for a miniature vacation. It was something his childhood therapist had often told him to do to prevent stress. Most people, he imagined, would envision themselves on a beach somewhere drinking nearly fluorescent-colored drinks. Larry imagines himself in his mother's house. When he was a kid on the night before Christmas, it wasn't really a vacation spot, and Larry knew that. But the thought of a home on the holidays soothed him in a way that nothing else could. That was before his mother had hired that wretched maid and her wretched stories that had scared him half to death on a daily basis. That was before that awful day at school when he'd had the stomach flu. After five minutes, he opened his eyes and the bell rang. The kids came in. Everything was on schedule. It was a Wednesday, and by this point of the week, the kids were a little unruly. They were antsy from already having spent a couple of days in their seats, and that was compounded by the fickle notion that the weekend would never come. Larry finished penciling in his roll call sheet and then moved on to the lessons for the morning. It was a light bit of science about ozone depletion, and he didn't linger for very long. He'd planned his days so that Wednesdays were a little more active. Today, they were taking a break for show and tell. The three kids scheduled were Brittany, who would undoubtedly present an article of clothing, Brayden, who would show off flies he'd tied for fishing, and Tommy Milner. God only knew what Tommy would do. This was his first time being allowed to do show and tell since the very first week of school when he'd brought a ball python named Killer 
and made the class watch as it devoured a rodent. Larry would have stopped him, but he was frozen in shock. Larry was terrified of snakes, and the class had known it. Where Tommy had managed to hide the pet all morning, Larry didn't even want to know. He just sat stupefied at his desk and waited for the horror to end. Then he went and got old Joe, the janitor, to take the snake and hold it until the end of the day. Brittany stood up and showed off a new pair of shoes that her mother had bought for her on a trip to New York. A few of the girls gossiped jealously. Braden showed off his hand-tied flies for fishing, and only a handful of students even bothered to pretend that they were interested. This isn't working, Larry thought about his attempt to liven up the classroom on Wednesday. But as Tommy approached the front of the class, the whole class sat up in their seats and leaned forward. Larry shouldn't have been surprised. He could feel the suspense himself. Today, Tommy was wearing a black leather jacket that had spikes and huge silver zippers running all over it. The dark jacket contrasted with his white skin and splotchy freckles and made him look like the caricature of a bad boy. Once he stood in front of the class, he unzipped the jacket and pulled out a black cylinder that had red tissue paper sticking out from both ends. Today, I've brought an M60 firecracker. The kids oohed and awed. Larry's jaw sagged. These little fun sticks can blow a metal coffee can to pieces if you turn the can upside down and set a heavy rock on it. But they work even better if you shove them up a frog's ass. Tommy! I don't believe those are legal, Larry said, exasperated. Now, M80s are illegal, Tommy replied with a longing look in his eyes. Those are like a quarter stick of dynamite. Now that'd be some real fun. Imagine dropping one of those into a car's tailpipe. The class murmured. Mr. Thumbleson removed his glasses and wiped them off with his sleeve. Tommy, put it on my desk. I'll have to talk to Principal North. This could get you in big trouble. Okay, no problem, Mr. T. I didn't mean nothing by it, he said and set the firecracker on Larry's desk. I just wanted to show the class what my mom bought me. You're not fooling me, Tommy. You're up to something. I wouldn't expect to be going home on time today. After school detention? Tommy groaned. I was hoping we'd be able to go home early today. Now why, why, why would you expect something like that? Larry asked. Tommy shrugged and smiled. When the kids left the classroom for recess, Larry went to his private teacher's bathroom, which every room had. They were relics from the old building before the renovations. They used to be for the kids but now they had a large public restroom in every wing of the building. No more kids standing in line and waiting to use the restroom during class. Larry had put a sign on the door that read, Mr. T's office, unavailable at all hours. He thought it was hilarious. The kids didn't really get it. After he finished getting rid of what was left of his morning coffee, Larry cleaned the bathroom quickly, but thoroughly, and had a glass of water. When he was done, he still had ten minutes to go to the office and discuss what to do about Tommy Milner's show-and-tell item. Maybe I can get him suspended, Larry thought, and that made him walk with a little extra bounce in his step as he went to see the principal. As the door to the hallway closed behind him, the other door that led outside opened and two boys came back in. Larry was showing the firecracker to Principal North when there was a muffled pop that came from the direction of his classroom. A moment later, the fire alarms went off and all of the children were ushered outside. 
No, kids, this time, it wasn't a drill. Milner, Larry thought as he went outside and got a head count of his students. He made sure that he had all of them, and surprisingly, Tommy was still there and looking confused, just like the other kids. Joe came out and walked towards Principal North. That is when Larry met him. What happened? Not sure, Larry, but it's in your class. Something blew the toilet in half, Joe said. He explained that there were some flooding problems and that the sheriff was on his way. A few moments later, Larry found himself talking to Principal North and the deputy sheriff. He had Tommy held next to him tightly by one arm. Sheriff, can I ask what happened? Larry asked just to make sure he knew before he accused Tommy. Well, mister, he glanced at the name tag. Thumbleson, is it? The pea trap in one of the restrooms was blown wide open. Somebody flushed something explosive. Did it look like this? Larry asked as he pulled the M60 out of his pocket and shoved it into the sheriff's hands. Well, it's hard to say. But I'm not sure that'd do it, he said, and then he looked down at Tommy. Is this his? Tommy looked scared, and Larry felt a moment of triumph seeing that look, however brief, on Tommy Milner's face. Then Tommy said sheepishly, It wasn't me. Larry started on Tommy when one of the teacher's aides who had been watching over the kids at recess came over and said, Now Tommy was out here the whole time. As a matter of fact, I was escorting him to the nurse's office to bandage his knee. As the aide spoke, Larry looked down and saw Tommy grinning at him. Larry stepped forward and tried to grab Tommy by the shirt. The surprise on Tommy's face told Larry that Tommy hadn't expected this. Larry loved seeing that little motherfucker looking like he was about to shit himself. But then the sheriff stepped forward and caught Larry. What are you doing, Mr. Thumbleson? The sheriff asked, looking at Larry with caution. I, I, Tommy, he was... Larry stammered. Tommy was no longer grinning, but instead had stepped behind the principal and was looking at Larry with large, scared doe eyes. Tommy did this, Larry said. But whatever happened, Tommy Milner was involved. Larry said again emphatically. The kids in Mr. Thumbleson's class were let home for the day while the mess was cleaned up and the plumbing was repaired. Before they were allowed to leave, every child in the fourth grade class was questioned, even those from Mrs. Melling's class. No one saw who did it and everyone had an alibi except for Alex, who was at home with the flu, and two boys absent from Mrs. Melling's class, Bud and Cole, Tommy Milner's best friends. That night, the dreams were different. They were about Larry's life after he was made to go see Dr. Mildrum. Though the dreams were distorted and filled with metaphors, they were very much accurate. After Larry had been discovered unconscious in the bathroom stall, he began having troubles coping. He started calling his mother and asking to go home, saying that he was ill. She found out that it was only happening when he wanted to use the restroom and could no longer hold it. One day, Larry called and she ignored him. He was later caught peeing behind the slide on the playground. His mother and teachers thought it was from the embarrassment of the incident. After a couple of weeks, his mom pulled him out of school for the remainder of the year, during which she decided to send him to Dr. Mildrum, child psychologist, a PhD amongst PhDs, and a man with no children or family of his own. He was tall, with narrow features, a quiet disposition, and attentive eyes. 
At first, the session started with Larry going to Dr. Mildrum's office where his mother would drop him off, and Dr. Mildrum would ask Larry about school and his homework. He often asked Larry about his relationship with his estranged father and his mother. Sometimes they lingered on the subject of Larry's mother before inevitably turning to the topic of what happened to him in the bathroom that day. The events that led up to him being found unconscious and the aftermath. Do you remember exactly what happened? The doctor asked. Larry shrugged. Said he couldn't. He could only remember running to the bathroom. Larry, if you don't remember, can you explain to me why you were afraid of public restrooms? Larry once again shrugged and said he simply didn't like using them. They were entirely unclean. We have a public restroom in our foyer, Mildrum said. I wonder if you would like to try an experiment with me, Larry. It's quite clean, you see. I'm a bit of a germaphobe myself. I wonder, Larry, would you try going into the bathroom? It isn't very big, and it only has three toilets. Larry felt a wave of anxiety rush through him, and the doctor must have seen it. Well then, Larry, how about if I go into the bathroom with you? Larry considered this, and it seemed plausible. He didn't want the doctor to go with him because he wanted it to happen again, and for the doctor to see that it was real. No, Larry was just a kid who, like all children, believed that monsters stay away when grown-ups are near. The experiment went well, and things progressed as the good doctor said that they would. Eventually, Larry was using the immaculately clean public restroom by himself, and often. Yet he would only use the one in the doctor's foyer, even though he was beginning to believe that the doctor was right. He had created the fear of restrooms out of his embarrassment, and he needed to forgive himself. Almost six months had passed, and he was going to be starting a new school. Dr. Mildrum believed that it was time for Larry to get over his fear, and so he took him to a shopping mall to use the bathroom. No, Larry, I'll be right outside, the doctor said while they stood in the narrow white hallway looking at the entry to the restroom. There wasn't even a door. You see, Larry, you won't be blocked in. Is it clean in there? Larry asked. Larry, I don't know. You cannot go through life expecting only to find an ideal circumstance. At some point, you're just going to have to do things without knowing in advance. Otherwise, you will never conquer your fears. Take the chance, Larry. Larry nodded, but he never really told the doctor what he thought it was that he'd seen that day in the restroom. That thing that he had seen moving beneath the stall and felt brushing against him. In his mind, it was as real as he and the doctor were. He turned towards the door and went in. He could hear the doctor giving his support and approval behind him, which helped a little. First thing Larry saw was a wastebasket overpiled with damp paper towels. He felt his stomach turn as he walked past it. The urinals were covered with yellow stains and ominous debris. The counters and sink had droplets of water and splatters of soap. The mirrors were covered with dried splashes. Larry went to the first stall. He didn't need to use it but he was just supposed to go in there and sit for at least five minutes. I'm still right here, Larry, Dr. Mildrum said, but Larry could barely hear him. There was a fan running continuously in the restroom. Larry opened the stall door and sat. He closed his eyes, but when he did, he saw it. 
so instead he tried focusing on the tile floor. There was a fluorescent light flickering, and that was enough to keep his attention. A minute passed, and then two minutes passed. Nothing happened. Larry began to feel restless. He shifted his weight so that his legs would not fall asleep as he sat fully clothed on the toilet seat. He glanced toward the stall and tried to tell himself there was nothing there. But there was. In the stall next to him, there was an ominous spattering down the side of the toilet and a streak on the floor where someone had either tracked something in or worse, tracked something out. The light overhead flickered and Larry heard a sound. Something was moving outside of his stall. But it was only someone coming in to wash their hands. He heard them turn off the water, pull a paper towel out from the dispenser, and then he watched as a wadded-up towel dropped onto the floor in front of the stall door. He checked the stopwatch that he'd been sent in with. He had less than two minutes left. He stretched his legs and tried to relax. For a moment, he felt like he was going to be okay. The fear was subsiding, and he decided to look around the stall. There were messages drawn and scratched into the silver metal. Most were just poorly spelled swear words. But there was one that stood out to Larry. Someone had taken the time to write a poem in black marker. Here I sit, so broken-hearted. Tried to shit, but merely farted. So one day, I took a chance. Tried to fart and shit my pants. This made Larry laugh. It was a tight and nervous laugh but it was partially one of relief. If he could laugh in a stall, then he could probably use one, if he absolutely had to. With 30 seconds left to go, he decided to look for more pieces of graffiti to read. His eyes latched onto a poorly scratched picture of some kind of monster with a giant tongue. Below were the words, Beware of the filth liquor. Larry blinked, and what he saw instead of any intelligible words was a nest of scribbles over what looked like the F-word. The drawing was nowhere to be seen. He sat back and rubbed his eyes, but when he closed them, all he could hear was Mrs. Ito's voice telling him, It comes for you, unclean, funny little boys, when you do unclean things. If you do not watch yourself, it will come for you and your filthy ways, Larry. The filth liquor is always watching. After seven minutes passed, Dr. Mildrum decided he needed to go and check on Larry. What he found was Larry unconscious on the floor. Next to him, he found three completely clean stalls that were covered in a sweet-smelling film that Dr. Mildrum decided was the hand soap out of the dispenser. In his opinion, Larry had suffered some sort of obsessive-compulsive episode and went on his own cleaning spree before passing out from his anxiety over the dirty restroom. After this new incident, Dr. Mildrum decided, after a long discussion with Larry's mother, that Larry needed to be treated in an environment which made him feel more comfortable. He suggested taking Larry out of school and homeschooling him for one year under Dr. Mildrum's own guidance. This went on for three months. Once a day, Dr. Mildrum, who his mother called Alan, came over three times a week to check on him. You can tell me your secret, Larry. I've already guessed it, Dr. Mildrum would say. But Larry never understood what he meant. Other little boys play in the dirt, Larry. 
Don't you find it funny that you'd rather decorate your room than watch a cartoon? Then, one morning, Alan was there when Larry woke up, and he was having breakfast with Larry's mother downstairs. It was then that Larry decided he was going to have to go back to school. He found ways to not have to use a public restroom. He altered his eating and drinking habits so that the only time during the day he had to use the restroom was when he was in the locker room during gym class, and it was full of other boys. He did this from middle school to high school without fail. Then, once he had to go to college, Larry decided to go to a community college so that he didn't have to live in a dorm. His whole life was planned in this way, and that is why he became a teacher. Everything was done by a prepared schedule. He found a house that was next to the school that he worked at, and being hired with a school that had a private restroom for a teacher was just a bonus. If it had worked out another way, Larry would have made plans for it. Larry woke up feeling sore and tired. He rolled out of bed and had a glass of water before working out. His head and shoulders ached, and his lower back felt tense. After working out, he felt like going back to bed and calling in sick. If it weren't for the possibility that he would have missed something with Tommy, that little fucker needed to pay. He slurped down his coffee quicker than usual, and on his way out of the door, he had to grab a napkin to dab the sweat off of his forehead. Larry didn't consider the fact that a wicked flu had been going through some of the kids in the lower grades lately. I probably didn't cool down long enough after my workout, that's all. I'm too distracted, he thought. He got to his classroom at 5 to 7 and hardly even realized that he was later than usual. There was a note on his desk. Larry, come see me before school starts. Olivia North. Just how I wanted to start my morning he said to the empty classroom. He went over to his bathroom and opened the door. He peeked in just past the yellow police tape that had barricaded him out and saw the toilet was laying on the floor in pieces. It looks like a shattered monument, a desecrated temple, he thought. There it sits, so broken-hearted, tried to shit, and the toilet parted. Larry thought, but he didn't find it funny. That little white trash piece of shit Milner was responsible for it, and Larry couldn't wait for him to get charged with a real crime. Larry found his trip to Mrs. North's room to be anticlimactic. I think it's Tommy, too, she said, but the police are involved now, so we need to let them work. Remember, Larry, he's innocent until proven otherwise. I know you think that the graffiti on your car last year was Tommy, and you're within your rights to be sensitive about it, she said. Larry didn't understand what she was saying to him or why she was giving him such a sympathetic look. Sensitive about the drawing? Wouldn't you be pissed if somebody spray-painted your car? He asked. Oh, uh, well, of course. But it was more what was painted, right? Mrs. North said. Larry didn't quite understand. Someone had spray-painted two pink male stick figures having intercourse with the words Mr. Funny Man written above them. Larry left the office confused. Innocent until proven a little cunt bag, Larry thought as he smiled to himself. Tommy was going down. He knew it. Larry realized as he walked back to the class that he felt a little cold and clammy. 
Maybe the heat had been turned off while they dealt with the vandalism in his bathroom. Class ran smoothly that morning. Tommy showed up and was dressed nicely. Larry had only seen Tommy dressed like that in picture days, and he thought that he was probably trying to look the part of a good boy. Larry made sure to call on Tommy often that morning, and surprisingly, he answered the questions in a respectable manner, and his answers were often correct. There was an occasional smile, though, a smug little smirk that let Larry know that Tommy knew what he was doing. That little shit is laughing at me, Larry thought. Larry could imagine Cole, Bud, and Tommy standing around the soda machine between classes, as they sometimes did when they wanted to bully other kids out of their spare change, and Tommy bragging about how that dopehead Mr. Tumbleson would never catch him. That is when it clicked with Larry, and it seemed so obvious. Cole and Bud had been absent the day before. Tommy had set the whole thing up. He had played Larry for a fool. Kids went back to recess, and Larry found himself in Mrs. North's office to tell her of his revelation. Larry, she sighed, peering up over the rim of her spectacles. The boys were at home with the flu. Both of their mothers called. How can she be so thick, he thought, but only managed to sigh out loud. He realized that Mrs. North had already moved on, and that is what she was expecting him to do until the police came to their conclusion. I think we should be more concerned about something of this magnitude happening in our building, he said sharply. Do you find me to be unconcerned, she asked. Larry, I'm very concerned. I'm just not concerned with pinning it on my most troublesome student without giving him a chance for due process. And I don't want another word about it unless you have some evidence. Because right now, it doesn't look like we'll ever find out who did it. At lunch, Larry went to the teacher's lounge to have another cup of coffee and use the restroom. The coffee was the cheap off-brand that Mrs. North requested they switch to so that they weren't spending their budget on frivolities. Of course, that didn't stop her from splurging on a new $300 desk chair, all on taxpayer money. The chair was meant to help her with her back problems. The only back problems that she had was that her stomach was continuing to grow. If she dropped 10 pounds, her fat ass would feel better, in Larry's opinion. You look happy for a man whose shitter just exploded, a tall man in a dirty set of blue overalls said. It was old Joe, the janitor. Just imagine telling your boss how big her ass has gotten, Larry said, and Joe laughed. And hey, I'm okay not having a shitter as long as I can use the one in here. Afraid not, Larry. The explosion caused a leak where the drain pipe from your room meets the drain pipe here in the lounge. The only restrooms available are the new ones, because they are separate from the drain lines. Larry felt a small rush of panic, and then he looked down at his watch. You okay, man? Not too fond of using a public shitter, are you? Not in the slightest, Larry said. I gotta run. Larry went and put his coffee on his desk, and then he ran out of the front double doors of the school. He walked quickly to his house and was relieved to use his restroom. He rushed out and back to the school, and for the first time he was late to class. It was also the first time that he'd ever used a bathroom without immediately cleaning it. Cutting it close, Mr. T. Tommy said with a wide grin, 
as Larry made it back just as the bell rang. Larry did his best to ignore Tommy. You're going to get expelled, you little shit. Maybe even sent to the juvenile detention center, Larry thought, and it made him smile. This smile seemed to confuse Tommy, who went back to his desk, barked an insult at the boy next to him, and then folded his arms beneath his chin. He sat staring at Larry with a pouty look on his face that made Larry smile even more. Larry took a drink of his coffee and began with his afternoon lessons. This coffee tastes odd, Larry thought. It had a chocolatey quality to it. Mrs. North was always buying different coffees for the lounge, and none of them were ever very good. Somewhere between talking about George Washington and the last battles of the Revolution, Larry felt his stomach cramp suddenly. He actually leaned over a little bit and placed the palm of his hand on his desk to steady himself. You okay, Mr. T? You don't have the flu, do ya? No, I'm, I'm fine, Larry said. Now that he thought about it, he had been feeling a little off but his stomach had never cramped like that before. He turned back towards his dusty old chalkboard and started to write the words Battle of when his stomach cramped again. The chalk snapped in his hands. You really don't look good, Mr. T, Tommy said. Larry turned and saw Tommy was grinning wildly. Larry reached for his bathroom door, but then he turned to his desk. He opened the drawer and reached for a bottle of Pepto-Bismol, but it wasn't there. Instead, he heard the crinkle of plastic as his hand hit what felt like a Hershey's bar that had been opened. He took it out. It wasn't chocolate at all. No, it was a bar of chocolate in a golden wrapper that said Cocolax. The chocolate picture on the cover looked very soft and flowing. There was only about a quarter of the bar left. Larry looked up and saw Tommy grinning even nodding slightly. He looked at his coffee cup, and there was a dark brown line from where the level of coffee had been before his last big, eager drink. He dug further back into his desk and found an empty bottle of Imodium AD, which should have been completely full. Milner, he thought. He looked up to see Tommy had resumed his gloating, but Larry didn't have much time to think about Tommy. It was happening again. This time, Larry didn't rush down the hallway, holding his backside and passing gas. This time, Larry patiently went over to Mrs. Melling's class and asked her if her aide could come over and cover for him for a few minutes. He walked patiently despite the beads of sweat forming on his forehead, and he didn't run until he made it within a few feet of the bathroom door. Then he couldn't wait. The bathroom was completely empty. He rushed past a line of miniature urinals and found himself squeezing into a small stall and nearly kneeing himself in the face as he sat down on the kid-sized toilet. There was no mess this time. His first time having to use a public bathroom in over 30 years was a successful moment. He did his business, felt the wave of relief, and realized that not only had Tommy given him a laxative, but he was also feeling strong flu-like symptoms coming on. He stood, turned, and vomited all over the toilet. Looking at this sick mess in front of him, he found himself remembering Mrs. Ito on the day before the incident, the last time he was in a large public restroom. She had found Larry having not flushed the toilet. She took him by the back of the neck and pressed his face towards the bowl. You see your filth? You funny little boy? You probably like it, don't you, being funny? You like the way that shit smells? 
Does it make you excited, you funny little disgusting boy? It's filthy children that comes for. The Akaname. You'll see it soon, you filthy little faggot. It was then that Larry heard the sounds coming from out of the other side of the stall again. He felt himself turning inward and the world blurring around him. Not again, he groaned. No, not again. Larry stood up to put himself back together, but he barely got his pants up. It was in the next stall. It was wet. It was slapping against the toilet and the floor, slapping against his door. Then it disappeared. Larry stepped forward, and then he heard it again, and he froze. Something was moving behind him. He turned slowly. Coming from the bowels of the toilet was a spindly creature covered in a thin, patchy stubble of hair. It slid outward, arms first, like a jointed snake until it emerged and spread out its long legs and arms. Its mouth was fleshy and shaped like a suction cup. On the edges of its mouth were small, yellow teeth that leaned like old, broken fencing. And then there was its giant tongue sweeping back and forth over the floor and licking the filth up and leaving behind a lemon-fresh, oily drool that made the bathroom floors sparkle clean. It was eyeless, but it had a large nose with seven nostrils. And when Larry opened the door to leave, it ran its tongue up his leg. That long tongue reached out towards him and slid up his pant leg and cleaned him where he, in a manic rush, had forgotten to clean himself. Larry stumbled with his shirt untucked and his belt hanging open. He limped down the hallway as students and teachers came out into the hall to see who had been screaming. Then, with all of them looking, he turned and lurched towards Tommy Milner falling on him and pulling him down to the ground as he laughed like a lunatic and held Tommy's face down. He made Tommy watch as he licked the floor and bellowed laughter into the hallway. a very courageous autobiography, Matt. Brave is the word. Ah, <clears throat> uh, dude, that was not an autobiography. No demon tongue has ever tickled its way that close to mine. Your pig's eyes just twinkled. What? Ouch! Puggles, you little shit! I mean, no biting, cutie. Bad piggy poo. I know you miss mommy. Sorry, sorry, Brett. Uh, what? What were we talking about again? Butt-tonguing, I guess. Oh, right! Uh, so what did you think, Brohotep? Oh, oh, hold the phone, hold the phone. I think Puggles needs to go potty. Here you go, Pugs. Aren't you afraid he'll run off? No, he won't. He follows me everywhere I go. 
Last night I woke up and he was standing on my nightstand. Just staring. Anyways, uh, so I got up early and that's when I wrote the story. I am glad that your inspiration to write has returned, Matt. It's strange. Just this morning I was also struck with the desire to pick up the pen. Uh, pen? What century is this? I don't know. I forget sometimes. Dude, if you actually read something that was written in the century, typed and not scrawled in blood. Yes, but why? Are you saying I should read the Harry Potter? That man-child is a hack. Watch it, Brett. Hogwarts is a holy place. Well, what did you write? Hmm. As I meditated this morning, I found myself awash in a river of the sights and sounds of this cosmos that surrounds us. And I beheld the shadows that the light casts off. What in the fuck are you talking about, Brett? Shadows, Matt. Shadows shall be brought to light. Shadow people and the cult that hastens their coming. Ow, oh, I got you, Brohemoth. Shoot me a text. Or Owl, Raven, whatever you use. When it's ready, dude. I am the Desolator of Amoth Kanath. Puggles? Damn it! No! I'll eat your soul, human, and I'll shit out its torment! This week's story was written and performed by Matt Cummins. Produced by Warpbox Media. Music by Brett Norwood. More to come! We have a public restroom in our foyer, Meldrum said. I wonder if you would like to try an experiment with... <laughs> I can't say that because I just immediately... I need an adult. <laughs> right, that's exactly what I'm thinking now. <laughs> that thing that he'd seen coming from underneath... God damn it, I can't read the word coming because our name is Monster Porn. <laughs> he sat black. He sat black. He said, Black! <laughs> what the fuck are you saying? <laughs> yes. That is the kind of monster porn that gets me hard.